RadioInfluence.com. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Monday edition of the Dark Delight Podcast with... Frankie Val on the drums and... Beans. So we're uh, blessed today to be joined by um, FBI whistleblower and very brave soul, Steve Friend, um, who was, I think, Steve, were you the first one to really come forward? You were, right? Uh, Kyle Serafin and I actually came out the same day, uh-huh. unknowingly. It's, it was amazing. It was just like this serendipitous coincidence that um, I think my story dropped the, the night before it was going to be published, and then his podcast launched that day. So you guys, without even knowing each other, both of you came forward publicly the same day. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, he'd been suspended longer than me and I guess had you know, developed this network and was asking everybody, like, who knows this guy? Who knows this guy? Because he thought he kind of knew, you know, everybody that was in this inner circle. And uh, he tracked me down probably within 12 hours we were talking to each other. That, that's awesome. So just, you know, six degrees from Kevin DeBacon, it was pretty quick. <laughs> you guys have to stick together because... Uh... Yeah crazy out there so i'm just gonna give you the floor frank you can feel free to hop in with any questions but i want you absolutely yeah i'm I'm a spectator right now but (laughs) please i just go ahead and do your thing (laughs) just tell your story so you started when you i know because it's it's a lot more than people realize so start when you first were like "Mm, something's not right here and, and bring us up to today it's all yours go for it all right uh well quick background uh got on the fbi in 2014 Spent my first seven years in Northwest Iowa. I was working on Indian reservation in uh, in Northeast Nebraska, three different tribes. So I uh, kind of cut my teeth on the violent crime side. Um, and that was sort of important for what later came out because you get a lot of uh, exposure to case, case, just a lot of repetitions. Mm-hmm. I, I opened like 200 cases in seven years. Wow. Whereas, you know, a lot of FBI agents will open, you know, maybe a couple cases a year, or, you know, a lot of these counter intel guys will have like one case for years and years and years so kind of the other end of the spectrum uh transferred to daytona florida in uh 2021 over the summer took that transfer with the understanding that there was an opening to work um we call it vcash and uh, some human trafficking uh took that transfer came in uh in the summer and then uh, my supervisor at the time retired and he'd been the, the real the warrior who'd fought to like keep that spot as a VCAC spot. Uh, he retired, the end of the fiscal year happens. And then I hear from on high in my uh, headquarters, which was in Jacksonville, hey, you, you need to give up all the child pornography cases. Um, you're being reassigned to work domestic terror uh, with the JTTF, the Joint Terrorism Task Force that was in my office. Did they replace so anyone that, in your spot to do the child? No. <laughs> Okay. No, they, it was, there, there was one agent, two task force officers, and then they just upped it to two agents, two task force officers. And I, I was upset because, you know, I, I had made a lot of promises to the, um, to the locals here because I didn't know anything about working child porn. So I just walked in really humbly like, hey, guys, I don't know anything. Can you show me how to do it? And if the federal route is like the better route, like, let's do it. And they were awesome. Like they gave me workspace, they gave me a laptop. They told me like, don't send your stuff up to, you know, anything you need done to, you know, Quantico or to Jacksonville, like you should bring it here and we'll do it for you. Oh. And I, you know, they dealt with like some more senior agents who would come in and like for like a year and then retired. And I was like, guys, I'm here for like 13 to 15 years. So like, let's, let's work. And uh, then like 10 weeks later, 
uh, I'm told that, hey, that's a local matter. You're not supposed to work that anymore. So I was worried from just a like a relationship standpoint with your local law enforcement because that's really an important you know important aspect to, to be able to do your job. Uh, but I told them, look, I'm a team guy. If if that's where you guys be, I'll be there. Um, the one uh, upside though was that my since my boss had retired, there was like this several month gap before the new boss arrived. So the guy who was kind of like the substitute teacher, he just told me like, hey do them both, like do the child porn cases. If there's nothing pressing with domestic terrorism, the new boss will come in, he'll kind of set the agenda. I'm not gonna you know, shake things up because that's not my job. I'm just kind of trying to keep it between the, the lines here. Uh, so did that, the new boss came in uh, in early 2022 and uh, kind of had his meeting with every one of us, the, like that office space, like, so what is it that you do here type of sit down and uh explained to him kind of a weird thing situation and he was good with it he was like look keep doing it i'll kind of i might reassess like as i get my feet wet and learn more about what's going on here and i just kept doing it kept my head down um because there was no work to do really on domestic terrorism because of the january 6 cases and the way that they were sort of collected and sort of being being worked um so the reason that there really was no work what I came to find out when I got moved over to the JTTF and I saw these January 6th cases because immediately when I got brought over, they made they, they gave me access to the cases. They made me like a case agent, case manager with them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm used to these Indian country cases that are like really fast moving. You know, if you don't hit it when it comes in, like it's lost. You got to, you know, within like 72 hours, you got to be like knocking this thing out. And I was like, hey, guys, like, you know, what are we doing with this? What are we doing with that? What, where are we? stand and they were always all like well we we did what washington told us to do um and then we just sent it back to them and now we're just waiting for them to tell us if they want us to do more or if they want us to you know close it out or they want to arrest the guy it, we're just waiting on them to make a decision and that's like red flags to me why um, because it, 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 it tell me why why so the uh the fbi has like a how-to book on how to like investigate cases. It's mm-hmm. called the DIOG, D-I-O-G, Domestic Investigation Operations Guide. Um, and it really specifically says there's a procedure that you need to follow. Um, so when you open a case, um, the office that you work for becomes the office of origin, the OO. The agent who is assigned to that case becomes the case agent, the case manager for the case. and their office and that agent are really responsible for oversight and just seeing the case start to finish all the way through all the, you know, the management of it, all the decisions, all the investigative decisions come down to that. Uh, so that's how I always open cases. You know, when I was in Iowa, I was in the Omaha, Nebraska division. So all my cases had were Omaha cases. They all had this OM in Jacksonville where I was in Daytona, JK. So, if anything, it made sense to me that like anything January 6th, the incident happened in Washington. So it should be a Washington case, should be WF. Uh, if they needed anything done, they could obviously ask the people in the field to do it. That's regular, that happens all the time because you know why would a guy fly from Washington yeah. DC to interview somebody in Florida? Well, they did though, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> they did, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, so right away, the first problem I see is, well, this should be one case. Why is why is it a separate? They made the decision, which was within the, the rules, but it was a little bit sketch. Um, well, ma- majorly sketch. They opened a 
separate case for every single person that they identified as a subject. So now you have, you know, like, like the 9-11 case is one case, right? It's massive, you know, and I mean, obviously there was like, you know, 19 hijackers is different than like 800 subjects, but yeah. like huge case, right? So now you've one doubled case. all the numbers. Yeah, 800x. Yeah, and, and all these, of all of these, uh, the, these cases are based on on what uh, faces that have been gleaned from uh, security camera footage or or what? All, so different sources on everything, like tips coming in from around the country. People will see like a picture on like the FBI's most wanted, and they're like, "Hey, that's my cousin Sal," and they call the FBI and they rat on him. Um, you have neighbors calling on neighbors. You have disgruntled family members. You have people that will call in or, or you know, report online. Like, I knew this guy in high school, and uh, I think he's this person. Because all these pictures are posted on the FBI's, like, we're trying to identify these people. And they're like, well, he kind of looks like the person. I haven't seen him in a few years, but, like, that's what he looked like. So you should go. And I, and I know he lives in Bowling Green. And then that would come in, and they... Uh, the you know the analysts have the technology to like well if they think if we got a tip that it's you know uh, Tracy Beans that was at the uh, was at the Capitol so we're going to go onto her social networks and see if she's got any pictures of herself in Washington D.C. and uh, you know if and, and maybe we can take those and, and maybe she's posted on about it or maybe she's you know we got some surveillance footage and we can compare facially recognize her you know picture on her Facebook account to the images that we have in surveillance and then we'll we can we all we know what our cell phone is so let's run uh the cell phone and see if it pinged inside the capitol or around the capitol on january 6th if that's a known cell phone number and they gather this whole package and then they would say all right well let's say that tracy lives in daytona beach florida so they if it was a washington case they would open a case on tracy or they would you know, it would be open to the master January 6th file if they did it really the right way. But let's say they open each one, okay? Washington would open it because she committed this crime allegedly in Washington. And they would send me a lead and say, hey, you gotta go talk to Tracy. We need you, to, we, this is the information we have. We need you to interview her and report back to us. They're the case manager. They're asking me to do it. That's fine. They didn't do that. Instead, they sent the packet to me and they said, for your investigative uh, review, this is what we have. We, you know, suggest that you, you know, you open the case up. Um, and if we, we, we open the case up, but it was like, we'll open it and we'll populate the file. We'll put stuff in there for you. Or you just, we just need you to open it up. We've done all this work on it already. Yep. Yep. Open it up you, in Jacksonville. You'll be the case manager. We'll put stuff in there. And when we need you to go interview, Tracy, we'll let you know. So that's basically to make it appear as though there is a blanketing of domestic terrorism cases all over the country instead of just January 6th coming out of the D.C. field office because that's where the crime was committed, correct? Or in your yeah, estimation? Yeah, that's, that, that's, that's my estimation. I mean, like, really, like, the, the best uh, analogy I, I've used is, like, the, um, the police officers killed in the line of duty. If you look like 99, 2000, 2002, 2003, it's really stable. 2001, huge spike. Well, that's when the towers went down. Mm -hmm. So does that mean that like in 2001, like Americans started killing cops like in mass? No, we had a one-time incident in one place. Yeah. Even if you want it. And, and so instead we had a one-time incident at the Capitol and we took those numbers, spiked the numbers, and then we spread them around. So now we've got a political narrative we can back up. 
and we can get financially benefit the uh, the suits that are in every single office because that's tied to their compensation. I have to ask you something because this is something that's been you know exploited upon by the the press and stuff. Do you even feel comfortable sharing? You don't have to, but you are not, from my estimation, from what I've read, a like Trump loving right wing you know cheerleader. Are you? Uh, no, I. Uh... I definitely am conservative. Um, I, I, I um, was surprised. I did not vote for Donald Trump in 2016. Um, I, he, he outperformed what I thought he was going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought I was leaning towards voting for him, and then coronavirus happened, and I was very unhappy with that way that was handled. I'm a little bit more the uh, the libertarian side, mm-hmm. um, and I just I was like, you know, I, I lived in Iowa. It was fait accompli. He was going to win the state anyway, and I just thought, you know. I, I think that America can benefit from a third party coming and bring some issues forward. So I, I voted for the second time for the Libertarian. Okay, fair enough. Just, just. So yeah, not sour grapes. I mean, I, I was not like a uh, election denier. Um, and to be honest, like I, I was kind of like, it is what it is, man. It doesn't affect my job. Um, you know, obviously it affects all of us. You know, who's, who's the leader of the free world? But uh, like. I was not tracking the news that day. I was working on a reservation and I can, I remember my dad called me. He's like, can you, can you believe what happened at the Capitol? And I was like, what do you mean? I, I was at a cell phone reception for the whole yeah, day. Yeah. I, I don't know. So now they thrust you into Florida to work on this stuff. By the way, I am an election denier and I'm proud of it. Um, uh, <laughs> just saying. Um, <laughs> doesn't take doesn't take much. I know. No. <laughs> so, so now you're, you're down there opening cases on your own or at the direction of your supervisor in DC. And what happens next? How many are you doing? Like, are you like, wait, this is a garbage lead. Why are we doing this? What happens? So uh, the guys who had been on the JTTF since the beginning had been doing the opening of the cases. They brought me in. I never actually had opened one. They were all the cases we had were in like this pause. We're just waiting to hear back. So I had my child porn cases and there was nothing else to do. Like I was, I jokingly said like, Hey, between the four of us, there's a good 15 minutes of work to cram into any given week on <laughs> terrorism here. And my, and my boss knew it. And he was like, he told me before, right before all the drama, like, Steve, I'm going to fight to get you back onto to the VCAC work. Cause there's just not a threat here for you to, you're wasting your time and you're doing it anyway. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I was make, making my cases. I mean, I, I had several arrests already that were like, uh, child porn related and uh, you know sexual exploitation of kids and I had a human trafficking case that was working so like I was feeling like I was doing some good work yeah uh, and then uh, every now and then you know asked to do a couple things on the terrorism side um, and they there was some sketch stuff that we did with a girl that was you know perceived to be a potential threat to a school shooting and that wound up being kind of a and that was something that Matt Taibbi kind of dug into in his piece on me last week um, and, you know, it was like a perfect uh, example of how the FBI takes something and tries to spin it into something else so that they can, you know, hit their numbers. So um, and, yeah. So I never had a chance, really. I mean, on one January 6th interview um, and it was and, and I was sent out on one lead to go and interview somebody. Both of them were just like, like hammered me in the head of like, this is so screwed up what we're doing. Like the, the one guy interviewed. Um, they had a tip from Rhode Island. It was anonymous. They said, uh, I think it's this guy. He's he's a subject. Didn't give their name. Um, the, they ran his cell phone, nothing. They ran facial recognition, nothing. They were like, just go interview him. And, and I'm like, well, I, there's nothing illegal for me to knock on your door and say like, hi, I'm with the FBI, can I talk 
to you? Yeah. Like it was just a conversation. That's perfectly fine. It's legal. But I was like, well, all right, is that, is, is that really a good use of our time? Okay, fine. It's you know, the biggest threat to America. So I drove up to where he needed to go, knocked on this guy's door. Um, and knowing that, all he had to say was, I don't want to talk to you. And even if he was there, I couldn't do anything. Even if he said, I was there, and I don't, it didn't give me anything specific, we didn't have a complainant. It was anonymous. It was going to be un, unchargeable. Knock on his door. Hey, I'm with the FBI. Um, you know, we're, we're looking at this stuff that happened on January 6th. Uh, were you at the Capitol that day? And he was like, no, um, that was my son's funeral that day. So I was definitely not in the Capitol. And I was like, all right, I just made him relive that. Sorry, sir, leave, drive home. Uh, so that was one. That's terrible. The other one was the interview with the uh, the guy who had already been identified. He was a, uh, he was a dual citizen. He'd gotten, uh, he'd voted for Donald Trump, uh, kind of felt like, his, you know, there was some election problems. Uh, got in online with some folks and was just kind of communicating. Uh, he told us like a few of them kind of rubbed him the wrong way. Uh, granted, we were interviewing him at his attorney's office. So okay. he already hired an attorney. Um, and this guy was just trying to be forthright. He's like, look, I went to this Trump speech because I, I, you know, I was hoping that, you know, maybe there'd be a different outcome and I wanted to hear what he was going to say. This is the last time he was going to talk maybe. So I went up there after the speech, he was like, hey, we're going to go to the Capitol. I was like, okay. So I walked over to the Capitol uh, and was standing there. There was one of the doors was open. I walked up, there was a police officer and I was like, is it okay if we go in? I asked him and I was scribing. So I wasn't really asking a lot of the questions, but I said to him, did you ask the police officer? He's like, yes, I asked the police officer. He said I could walk in. Okay. He walked in. He was like, I'm, I'm a nerd. This is my first chance to go to the Capitol in my life. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a new American. I was really like excited. I just want to go in and like, look at the architecture and the art. And I did. And then on the way out, I just, I left and we're like, did you take anything? Cause there's been all these allegations that people took, you know, like riot gear from the cops. And he was like, yeah. I took this free brochure that was on the, the wall for the tour. It's like, he was like, and then he, he, his lawyer had very much coached him to say like, really be contrite. And like, you know, he was like, it's the biggest mistake of my life. Donald Trump was the worst human ever. He completely manipulated my emotions and I'm so sorry. He was a physician um, who had already lost his job because of it. Um, and well, we, he was like, well, where do I stand? And all we could say was, well, DC is going to make a decision and we'll let you know. And before you even go on, can I just ask a question? Am, am I correct? They're running cell phones and all this information on people. They have zero idea it's even happening, right? Like, yeah, geofence. Geo yeah, I mean, like, it's, I'm sure it's in one of those, like, I agree contracts that you sign that in the cell phone company provides it because it's a private company to the government. They're cooperating with a, you know, huge giant. And then phone calls and stuff. Right. What is it just like a record of who you've called text messages, stuff like that, where the phone calls originated from? Like, is that what you're looking at? No, it's like pings, like GPS ping. So that's it. You weren't running someone's call records to see anything with it. Okay. No. All right. That's just like, enough. you know, where your phone hits. Yep. I remember that, that was the, that was one of the more, while everybody was was getting uh, blasted with the the very early at that time j6 january 6th uh bay of pigs narrative that was being uh rolled out by the media that was one of the things that kind of got lost in the fray and that was cnn uh in a short segment i think on jake tapper's show 
used a map a map of all the of all the uh the signals that were being co- collected by cell phones to show how swarms of people were making their way from the speeches over to the capitol and it pretty much showing that it was it was so open source that they would have it that it's everybody's data it's it's just right there in front of you and and there you are a little green dot and a bigger cloud of green dots yeah. and that it was just becoming so um as a matter of fact and normal to see this stuff used against us and actually just used in a presentation on the news so as far as data the data side of all this stuff i think that's that's the thing that people have lost sight of the most with all the other um the dramatics that have built up around this well that's what they used to get rid of parlor because they said parlor was this horrible forum that was used to facilitate january 6th and they were looking at people's parlor accounts and where their gps was on their account and you know Nobody looked at Twitter, nobody looked at Facebook, and it would have seen something similar because people use those, you know, platforms way more than Parler. Mm-hmm. But, you know, because Parler was perceived to be the conservative outlet, you know, it, that's why it got Can't have that. taken down. Can't have that. Absolutely not. All right. So now you've got this poor shaking, recently anointed American doctor. Yeah. And you leave there and, and you're like, and, yeah, I'm just like. I haven't done anything on the cases other than these, I'm, you know, the very, very, you know, top soil. And I just was like, I can't do this. And and um, I kind of think about like other people have come out on other things and they said like, you know, after two years of doing it, you know, it's got the best of me. It was like right away to me. I was like, I, I'm not doing this at all. Um, I just happened to have a lag because there was such a delay for our office to take any action against people that I was like, hey, self-preservation, there's no need to die. I'm not gonna give the guy the sword to to cut my head off. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm just gonna keep working my cases and maybe like hope against hope, um, we don't charge any of these people. And like, I just can go about my my day and and not worry about it. Uh, But then rubber met the road over the summer of this year. So uh, we got an email that came out. so it's normally like you'll have like a call for like hey we're doing a takedown next week who's available and i I was in a relatively small office so you try to make yourself available at all times for anybody um and uh we'd had there been a couple like rumblings or whispers that like hey we're gonna do this takedown and then no canceled no canceled finally though they put this email out next wednesday we're doing a takedown in conjunction with tampa division so now we got two divisions which i was like all right there's moving pieces now like they're not going to stop it if they put that out um tampa's got a couple subjects jacksonville's got a couple subjects we're going to do this takedown of some january 6th subjects um and i'm like well yeah i i just gotta go to my boss and tell him like that i I don't want to be a part of it and uh so i went to his office uh the so it was gonna be the following wednesday so it was the friday before uh and i said like look i i need to be like a conscientious objector have some sort of conflict of interest on this and he like was like, "What do you mean? You're my you're my domestic terrorism agent. You can't refuse to do domestic terrorism work." And I was like, "I'm not refusing to do domestic terrorism work. I have a major problem with the way that these cases are being handled. They're outside of our rules, okay? And we're set, and and like even if these guys, were, you know, the horned hat guy, and they're all like terrible, you know, and they deserve to go to jail or whatever. You know, they were the ones assaulting cops. I was like." Um, we're going to lose at trial because we're violating the rules and we're violating people's due process. So like, that's a problem to me because I want to win if the person's a bad guy. And then we have the other ones like this physician who like 
did he do anything wrong and we're punishing him? Like, isn't that a cruel and unusual punishment issue? Um, so it was like weighing on me and, and I felt like it was also, um, you know, they, they trained us in the FBI Academy. It's, it's a big deal. It's this day when you go to the Holocaust Memorial and the MLK Memorial, you have to read uh, about Emmett Till and MLK's uh, letter from Birmingham jail. And you have this large discussion with a, a representative from the Anti-Defamation League about you know, if, no, if nobody stands up and says what we're doing is wrong, the police facilitate atrocities and civil rights violations. And they this make you train on that. Again. Wow. Uh, that's Jeez. actually refreshing yeah. in a way to me to hear, even though it's never followed. So. It, I'm pretty sure it's going to be canceled after I come out. I think they're going to get rid of that day because I said, like, look, guys, my you're, I'm keeping in my training. Like, this is my job. You're saying that I have this job that you're telling me to do. It's a lawful a, a warrant that's been signed by a judge. But what I'm telling you is I have an oath. That's also my job. My oath is to protect the Constitution and people's rights. And I believe we're violating those rights. So now I have two conflicting forces. I have to default to the higher one. And to me, the higher one is definitely this oath of office. And not for nothing, like that warrant says law enforcement officers shall do this. It doesn't say Steve Friend shall. It doesn't say the FBI shall. I mean, what's stopping us from, you know, why are we going to go do a SWAT hit on a guy? And even if he's been accused of a felony, and this guy was, he was alleged to have committed a felony, okay? Why are we going to hit his house with a SWAT? We've already talked to him. Is it like you on the drug guy that you've had a wire up on for 90 days and you've been investigating for 18 months and it's a big takedown and you can't go talk to the drug dealer because then like he, he knows the jig is up. So you have to like surprise him. Mm -hmm. um, this guy, he's talked to us. He said, if you need anything, I'll talk to you. Some of these guys who had, had lawyers, it's like, why are we going to SWAT them? Well, you know, there's there's a whole matrix we have to assess. And I was SWAT five years. So I know, like, uh, if there's, you know, a, a additional risk of violence, if criminal history, if uh, they have weapons. And I was like, hold up. Like, I, I live in Florida. Like, everybody's got personal firearms. You could SWAT anybody there. Yeah. So, like, let's use some discretion here. I was like, we can, we can just call them up and say, hey, buddy, you gotta surrender yourself at the courthouse tomorrow, or or we'll come in with a little heavier force. No, we can't do that. We can call his attorney, have him surrender. No, uh, we, he lives in a rural area, like why don't we have the sheriff's department go out there and you know, Pick say up. like, hey, you know, here's a warrant, why don't you come with us? Because uh, that way it's somebody who he at least knows, he sees that uniform and he's like, oh, it's my county, you know? Um, which is what I did all the time in the Indian I would always have my tribal police officers who I worked with who knew the community, the community knew them. They'd go knock on, you know, John Doe's door and say, hey, buddy, you know, got a warrant. And, and that guy knew that was going to happen anyway. Like when I interviewed him because we'd had this, you know, yeah. contact, I was like, hey, buddy, I don't know what's going to happen. I got to talk to the prosecutor. If they decide to charge you, I won't swatch you in the middle of the night. I'll make sure that, you know, you come in and we're not going to, you know, scare you or anything like that. And they were, they were always like, okay, please knock on the door. Yeah, I know what time it is. Okay, turn around, handcuff me. I, I knew this was a possibility. Um, no, we can't do that. Like, so, well, we, we could get, I could cut a check for $30,000 to get a surveillance team here tomorrow. I was like, there's no limit to the amount of money that you could spend. It's like, why don't we just do surveillance? Get a surveillance team, watch this guy. Uh, you know, he's driving to work and he stops off at the, the Wawa to go gas up. Pull a Mike then, Lindell on him. Done. You know, like, how they got Mike really Lindell safe. at the drive-thru. Yeah, yeah. drive-thru, yeah, exactly. Now, we, we, you know, this is just what we've decided to do. I'm like, well, 
um, there's at the time our office had a uh, a drug case going. Um, so there was a wiretap. So somebody always has to sit on the wire. Um, and uh, I said, hey, can I sit on the wire that day? Um, just I don't want to be on this on, on any of these. And they're like, well, if it was just this one case, we might be able to do it. But you're saying you don't want to do anything for January 6th, and we can't have that. So we're going to have to bring this up the chain of command. So uh, he he asked me to like have the weekend. He was like, think about it. You know, like you got a really you're a really good agent. You have a really great reputation. Get a long career in front of you. Um, you know, I don't want you to mess it up. So like, think about what you what you're thinking right now. It's like okay. And I said, I've already talked to my wife about it and prayed about it. I'm really comfortable with where I am. Uh, the weekend, uh, calling an attorney just to get ready. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, Monday came around. I was like, boss, nothing. I'm not changing on this. Okay. Monday night, I get a phone call from the next level up, which is the ASAC, the assistant special agent in charge. There's three of them in the Jacksonville division. And they said, Steve, you got to come to Jacksonville tomorrow and talk to me and one of the other ASACs. Uh, and the guy who called me, he was uh, actually in a substitute role. He was like an acting. They had the prayers guy had uh, actually the one who told me to switch, switch over to domestic terrorism. He had retired, so the acting guy was in that slot. And uh, you got to be care- you got to beware the acting boss, man, because they know that this is their chance to shine. Mm. And one of the best things you can do in the FBI is to take disciplinary action against the subordinate to get uh, leadership uh, credits. That's so I was like, okay. I know it's going to happen now. And uh, I said, hey, boss, if you're going to take my gun and badge, just tell me. I will leave it on my desk. Like, I want to have to drive three hours round trip. And he laughed. He was like, no, no, no. We just really want to hear what you have to say. Okay. Drive up the next day. I had a two-hour conversation with these guys. Um, kind of laid out everything that I laid out for you, especially the training, um, my concerns about, you know, violating rights and they never pushed back on any of that. Um, they were, it was really clear to me, they were trying to divorce two things. It was, you have the right to come forward because that is an actual whistleblower disclosure that I was making. Mm-hmm. You have that right. We're not telling you you can't do that, but you also have an obligation that you have to do what you're told. And so what we really want to be clear on is you're refusing to do your job, right? You're refusing to do your job, right? And I was like, they're recording me right now. It, they're really bad at this. Um, I was like, no, I'm doing my job. My job is to protect the Constitution. I swore an oath. And like, I'm sorry, guys, I actually believe in it. Like, you found the one, I guess. And uh, <laughs> for you, like, I'm doing my job. My job is uh, to raise, I'm keeping with my training. And I kept hammering and hammering it. And finally, the, the Colt, Colt McCarthy, uh, Colt was the acting. He, he kind of like lost, started losing his patience. And uh, he was like, well, we're within policy, FBI policy, we're within the law, and it's not a risk to your safety, so you have to do it. And I'm like, well, we're outside of the policy. I think we're abusing the law, and I think we're putting ourselves at risk of safety because like, we could have another Ruby Ridge easily happen if we go into a you know, rural area where everybody's flying a Gadsden or a MAGA flag, and then they see a bear cat roll up on the guy's lawn, and they're like, that's my neighbor, he's a good dude. No, not gonna happen today. And now we've got a community that's, you know, up in arms against us like that that's easily i don't that's not a huge intellectual leap to make mm-hmm. when we could just call him and say surrender so he he made a lot of like well you're not in the game steve you don't understand you're you're in the stands you're not on the playing field yeah. like i am like i really get it mm. and and oh, oh hello and 
And then he uh, he said, uh, so let me get this straight. You don't think people who killed police officers should be charged with a crime? Nobody wow. died. Well, well, if they're saying it at that level, I guess this is it. Did see, you, so, uh, see, this is what it is. When you say, uh, are you sure? Like, keep pressing you on, on uh, so you're saying you're not going to do your job. It, it, it is apparent at that point, at least to us listening, obviously, you're the one that had to live it. That um, the job is different based on I don't know the, what what reality you live in. Just like when we turn on the television, we hear people talking about our democracy. It's clear now they're talking about a, a nation within a nation that has nothing to do with the original charter that we were given in the eighteen eighteen uh, hundreds or seventeen hundreds. It's um, it, it's just incredible. You're, you're dealing with people on other planes of reality. So they are literally operating off the false information that that law enforcement officers died as a result of the january 6 protesters three times in my conversation with him he uh, and at one, at one point he actually was like i think you really need to go back and re-examine the facts steve and i was like uh, no i don't i'm pretty sure that i do that's why i've come to the conclusion i have like i'm that's publicly available i was like brian sicknick was the most high profile one he died of a stroke. It was originally came out that he got hit with a fire extinguisher, but that proved to be inaccurate. He died of his natural causes the following day. Uh, and then he kind of like he, he he knew that like I knew my stuff and he sort of said, Well, there were some injuries. I'm like, correct. This is so he God. knows. So he knows, Steve. Then he knows that he's lying to you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. He's he was he kind of strikes me as more of like a uh he's a jock like just hit him in the head maybe some hot dogs come out of his ears um <laughs> and just not not really equipped you know and very ambitious which is the other thing that i keep saying like look there's politics and there's ambition and you get one of the other and sometimes you get both so like for cult um i think it's more ambition i think he was saying what he, what he thought the people who were political wanted to hear because i've heard from other people that when this first happened he was actually in charge of the jttf that was in jacksonville and he like had made comments about like we shouldn't be doing this really but i think i think he saw his chance to and he, he'd made no secret about the fact he wanted to elevate he's a he was a blue flamer he wanted to promote and i'm not in this job for very long i'm going to promote i'm going to promote so he's going to say what he want, wants to say the other guy Sean Ryan and Sean was like he was very nice uh you know just like very milk toast and was not disrespectful to me at all uh, or combative but he was like Mr. Dale Carnegie win friends and influence people like Steve you know what what can we do so that you can succeed and our organization can succeed because we really want to succeed and I'm like oh my gosh just um, guys, this is where I stand. Like, and I talk circles and circles and circles, and I keep saying like, where I stand on it. And, and an additional thing was, like, I was on the Gretchen Whitmer takedown. So, That's insane. Like, once shame on you, twice shame on me. There's a lot of overlap. There's a, uh, that Venn diagram that Kamala Harris, I'm sure, really loves. Um, <laughs> the, uh, there's a lot of overlap. It's almost a full circle. And they were, they were like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, I those guys were kind of entrapped and what i'm seeing come out of a lot of these j6 cases is they were a little they were sort of entrapped they were allowed in the building by the police and they're like so wait you don't think that if we're doing things wrong in our process and you you don't think that that's going to come out at trial i was like i know it's not it, i clearly it's not well how do you know i was like well because they're just getting 
gallows like every single one of them getting convicted and they're like no no there's been some acquittals and i was like there was one acquittal and he didn't have a trial by jury he went to the judge and it was a it was a like really rare situation where one guy has been acquitted. Yeah, these guys. Everybody are else getting, is getting convicted in forty minutes. And it's I, ridiculous. they're they're throwing now. Listen, I've been following the Rhodes trial pretty closely, and there's a lot of weirdness going on in that case. But like, they're in other cases, they're pulling things like they're one case. There's an allegation. It comes out of Florida actually that they planted, ex, they planted explosive devices on this guy in his trailer the explosive devices they found have zero dna that match him at all in his residence okay so i don't obviously you weren't doing that but it's not far from the imagination if their their defense team's running dna on this evidence and finds no dna from the actual you know perpetrator there's something weird going on yeah i mean even just like there was a one guy that they, they seized the evidence and it was like the, the Lego kit. Yeah. That was like the US yeah. doctor. I was like, do you think he was doing like a model, like it was Ocean's Eleven? And like, there's not a map of the Capitol in the Lego box, guys. Like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> so did you tell us about the, the Michigan case now? You did that and didn't have the same feeling as you did with Jason. No. Yeah, so uh, SWAT, uh, normally you handle the stuff in your area. But like if there's a big operation, the like neighboring areas kind of like partner together. So Detroit field office called us up. They're like, hey, we need you to come out. Uh, we got a big takedown. So I drove all the way from um, my house in Saint Sioux City, Iowa. It was 10 hours. I drove to Kalamazoo, got there, there, and they were like, hey, this is a really big case. I've been working it for a long time. Um, it's this is militia. Uh, they got an undercover in in place who's come out and and the, um, an informant who said. Uh, they're going to kidnap Gretchen Whitmer. They're going to have a show trial and they're going to execute her. So like, we're doing a big tech, big takedown. And I'm like, let's roll, man. Let's roll. Like, I, I don't care about politics. You can't like just kidnap a mother and wife and public official. Um, I never heard of the show trial part of that. Yeah. It, it, well, that's what we're told. So we were told a lot of stuff. Like, well, like a trial <laughs> in the woods or something? Yes. <laughs> like, yeah, like, I, I remember being told they're going to take her on Lake Michigan, like on the lake. Like, I don't know, like a Viking style funeral or something. Um, but we had this briefing and, uh, you know, normally a SWAT brief, they, they, they do the, uh, the operations plan. Uh, it's very locker room, you know, the guy, it's, it's macho environment, like a lot of smoking and joking. And it was quiet. It was like really serious. And they had a lot of information. They had a lot of videos. Um, there, there was a video, we never get video. We always get like the guy's driver's license or his arrest photo. It was a video of these guys. It was the first and only time I've heard this term and the FBI is notorious for just making up terms. Um, and they were like, hey guys, these are near peer, near peer. I'm like, what, what do you mean? <laughs> well, I watched the video and these guys had like kits on and like slick, slick firearms trade. Like they yeah, were- Yeah, cause you bought them away. for them, sorry. Yes. So I didn't know. I was like, I was like, these guys are good, like, like really good. And well, the only joke in the whole room was one of our preachers was like, "Do you think these guys put on a school? Because like, I'd like to go because like, bet I could get a really sick patch to put on my uniform." And uh, we, they said they have encrypted communications. 
if any of them get um, contacted by law enforcement, they're gonna be able to send out this distress signal and all of them have predetermined locations they're gonna to respond to. And they're explicitly going to engage in a gunfight with any law enforcement they encounter. And we know that because we're the ones who told them how to do it, set it up and actually brought them there. Like this yeah. is disgusting, I'm sorry. So yeah, so we hit the house, man, like our, our target got arrested. We did, we normally do a morning raid, we did a night raid. Um, and uh, normally it hits the house and it's like the fun stuff. It's, you know, you're wearing your cool stuff, you're done in eight minutes and then you're gone. And then everybody else has to collect the evidence and do the process of scene. But like the macho, like football players, like we get to walk out and leave. Not here. They're like, take the structure, post up. Like you're in a bob in Afghanistan because like these guys are coming outward bound, we're posted up, like looking for threats in the woods. These guys could and... barely even bathe themselves, let alone. <laughs> I don't, sorry. So we're there for a couple hours and it was getting cold. It was October. Um, and uh, we, uh, they were collecting guns inside. One guy was a gun collector. So he had a fair amount of firearms. And the FBI says there has to be a firearms instructor or a SWAT operator when you collect uh, firearms evidence because they have to make sure they render the weapon safe. So they're like, Steve, you want to go in? I was like, sure, I don't want to be cold. So I went in and they were taken forever. I mean, it was like 20, 25 minutes to collect one gun. And this guy probably had 100, 200 guns. It was, I was like, I'm gonna be here for days. And uh, finally they, they worked about like, Steve, you can leave. Uh, we decided instead we're gonna leave this. The state's gonna charge this guy. We're not gonna charge it. And in my head, I'm like, well, he's gonna kidnap the governor and kill her. Like that seems like a, a fed case, but not my case, okay around and i went home and i thought like all right we did good work right and they came out with a big and it wound up being a big october surprise yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know i tried followed the case because they're so high profile and then yeah what came out is these guys were like living in a vacuum repair shop and they'd been completely manipulated and so i took that experience and was like look i was a you know an unwitting participant in you know facilitating that and i'm not going to do it not, again i'm not going to do it again i got my eyes wide open on this um i've actually got the benefit of having seen a lot of these cases you know be adjudicated and seeing the problems here and i honestly believe that everything that we're doing it's going to be a decision above my level but like everything we've done with january 6 is so that we've polluted the well like you can't drink the water and i can't in good conscience do that so I had this whole conversation and they said uh okay thank you We'll be in touch. I was like, well, where do I stand? And uh, they're like, it's really, it's a, it's turn the battleship, Steve. It's a really slow federal government process. What we'll decide what you do. I was like, okay. Three hours later, Colt emailed me and said, you're not allowed to come to work tomorrow. Um, you are considered absent without leave. And they docked me a day's pay. They told me I couldn't come to work. It was the day of the, the takedowns. Um, went back to work the following Thursday. Uh, I, got, I was like, yeah, you can come back. Uh, a week later, the special agent in charge, so that the big grand pooba in Jacksonville, she came down to Daytona to meet me, uh, Sherry Unks. Um, and uh, she had a 20, 25 minute conversation with me and my supervisor. Uh, and she said things to me like never in her 24 years has she seen behavior like mine, that I represented a really a fringe of the FBI. I needed- Oh yeah, like an Amer American? Uh, well, you, you represented Americans. We don't we don't like Americans here. <laughs> so she's uh, she's very political. She, so if Colt is ambitious, uh, Onks is very political. 
like when the Jackson uh, decision came out, Dobbs Jackson, yeah. uh, she put an email out to us like women's rights, the women's rights are being taken away by the Supreme Court. She put a big gay so pride she, display up in the office in Jacksonville. So basically like she's, she's fringe. Not, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, not, not within leadership. FBI leadership is definitely left-leaning. Um, but she said, uh, I was, uh, well, she pulled, pulled the power move. So a little inside baseball, you know, like people call the, the CIA the agency that's like your D-bag. Um, like, so the D-bag move in the FBI is to say the seventh floor because that's where the director works in the J. Yeah. Hoover building. Yeah. So she's like, Steve, I was on the seventh floor that day. And not like I was working in the director's office. I was on the seventh floor. I was like, oh, you're an important person. So um, she's like, the day that those people seized the Capitol and tried to take our democracy and the fear that we felt. And I'm like, oh, they man, were afraid. Oh. Hey, Steve, did they ever ever once? Uh, what was the scrambling like on the seventh on the seventh floor on, in May of 2020 when uh, Black Lives Matter and Antifa uh, set fire to St. John's Church and and uh, sent like 40 Secret Service uh, officers to the hospital and were structure fires near the White House. What was the um, what was the, uh, the the chaos like in the, at the seventh floor on that day? I, I think they were probably still roped into like Russia, Russia, Russia. Uh, but she did raise how the great work we'd done in Portland and like the, the, the America doesn't know how how hard that uh, we worked for uh, for stuff and. Even though no charges came out, like the great men and women of the FBI did yeah, some incredible as, work on that. As the federal buildings burned right behind yes. them, <laughs> just they were afraid so, to go in. And yeah, I know. She said, uh, you need to do some soul searching. And um, I was like, well, I've explained everything to Colton and to Sean. I'd be happy to talk to you about it. But you know, I, I think honestly, like it's going to be a repeat and you, you don't have to waste your time with me. That's fine. Um, and she's like, okay, uh, just so you know, I've already referred you to uh, the Office of Professional Responsibility, which is like our internal affairs mm -hmm. and the security division, which is gonna assess your security clearance because if they suspend or take your security clearance, you can't be an FBI agent. So like, she did that before the meeting. Yeah. Um, so, so obviously like her use of tense, again, how to win friends and influence people. Like you can see the cogs turning. Even if you good. changed your mind, Steve, they would have had you on a list sure yeah so they had me on the list anyway because i'm unvaccinated and they made us all in 2021 uh attest to our vaccination status um and so i had to tell them and then they they did this mishmash of like how it was going to be done like every office did something different so in the jacksonville division they said like every 72 hours i had to provide them a, a negative test and it couldn't be a home test i had to like go to a testing site so i, I just went every single day to a testing site Jesus. and and had them swab my they knew me by name like they just were like hey steve how's it going and swab my nose uh, and i'd send an email every single day i had to send an email to my boss and to the uh, supervising uh, administrative officer in jacksonville so i guess there's no medical privacy um and i got i'm a pretty sarcastic guy so i draft it took me like an hour i drafted this email template out and i was like the most official snobby sounding email where it was like sir in compliance with executive order 14043 <laughs> signed by the president joseph robinette biden on you know such and such a date and i i didn't use a single acronym center for disease control the federal bureau of investigation i got into like the specific test that was given like a sars 2 cove nasal assay assessed at this such and such a site and then once I had it, I just swapped out the dates every time. Uh, and then I remember this other woman in my office, she came to me and she was like, Steve, 
what are you telling them when you do your test? And I was like, well, I sent this email. And she's like, yeah, but like, but what does it say? I'm like, why? She's like, well, I just got a phone call and they said, I'm not taking this as seriously as Steve Friend and I need to. <laughs> they are unable to pick up they on the They can't even see, oh my it's God, like, they can't tell you're yeah. being a... Oh my god. <laughs> Kenzel is being a jerk. Yeah. So Oh boy. Um, okay. They have a name on a list, I'm sure. Um so then she did that. Uh and then my lawyer said to me, um, hey, you know what's happening, right? I was like, Yeah, yeah. Go and get me the employee handbook and anything about uh disciplinary procedures so I know the way to defend you. Because this was not his jam. He he's a fighter, he's from New York. Um, you know, like I, you know, I really got along with him, but like he, he wanted to do a good job. He's like, look, I'm, I'm out of my element. I just, can you get, get me that information? Sure. Popped in, uh, grabbed that. Um, so I got the employee handbook, the, the dialogue, the domestic investigations guide, so he knew what my problem was, the disciplinary procedures. And then, uh, every quarter, the, uh, office of professional responsibility sends an email out where it's basically like the lowlights of what employees did and what their, you know, punishment was. And mm-hmm. it's kind of like, the ridiculous stories but like this guy had sex with an intern in his in the parking lot in his bureau card he got 60 days suspension um so i was like well i'll, I'll take the last five years of them so i kind of have an idea what's like a acceptable point for me to face nothing and, uh, i saved Basically. them all yeah i saved them all on a jump drive that they fbi gave me um for child porn cases so i thought it was fine and then uh sent it off to my lawyer and uh the next week they called me colt you got to come back to jacksonville for a security awareness briefing it's called the sob which i didn't know what it was he said well it's a briefing you've been that about uh technology use of bureau technology he's like you had this already in the academy you get annual training on it but you've been singled out for more mm, like, singled well, out. that sounds like a disciplinary boss uh, i need a i need a lawyer no you can't have a lawyer and it's not disciplinary i'm like well it does sound like you're trying to ruse me to come to Jacksonville. Um, you can come to Daytona and do it. Like, you don't have to spare my feelings, but like, I want a lawyer with me because it's, I'm being singled out. And he's like, well, you made different choices than other people. So you're you know, good, bad, or indifferent. You're going to have to face those consequences. This is and terrible. I was, I was, you just told me it's disciplinary if you said that I made different decisions. So I'm definitely not doing it without a lawyer. Okay, fine. Hung up. And uh, that was uh, Wednesday and finished out had fire on friday uh and then did the weekend came in monday morning my desk was clear the building was empty and i was like here it comes come around the corner it was cult it was my boss um who the fbi has asked me not to name um as a um, approval for me to speak out um so i definitely will not name greg federico from the daytona <laughs> beach resident agency um man spine of jello uh and uh i love you SAC, <laughs> sac sherry onks i will call her sac onks because you know she was on the seventh floor so she's important and then there was a security uh, guy supervisor and they took my gun credentials phone badge access said you're suspended give me my uh paper said you're suspended for refusing to follow uh, lawful order for inappropriately accessing uh, the bureau computer network um, with an unapproved device, so the employee handbook, and uh, refusing to attend a mandatory uh, SOB, which showed a bad judgment. Oh. So, yeah. And then, like, so you leave, you decide you're gonna speak out, you go to Congress, right? 
You you obviously yeah, so, followed all the procedure for whistleblower. Yep, I'd already drafted a letter to Jim Jordan, um, and uh, he had it. And then I did an official complaint that as that day, like I got on the phone with my lawyers. We did the full complaint up, and we made sure we got it to uh, Office of Special Counsel, Inspector General, Office of Professional Responsibility, Senator uh, Grassley, Senator Johnson, and Senator Durbin because. Hey, bipartisan. Like it's and, and Durbin's the head of the Judiciary Committee, so I want to make sure he had it. You know, I'm sure he's not going to throw it right in the trash. Uh, and uh, send it out. And then you know, my whole world shook a couple of days later when Miranda Devine uh, dropped her story on Tucker Carlson, and uh, I got got named out. And uh, for a while, I tried to hey, I'm going to wait for the bureau to give me approval to speak out, try to play by the rules. And it was really apparent they were just going to slow roll it. And never do anything. Um, oh, and over that weekend when I wasn't speaking out, was when the Facebook. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you about wife. that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they went after your uh, wife for talking for, to Moms for Liberty. Yes. Yeah. So Moms for Liberty reached out through um, a friend of mine, sent him a message, and he forwarded it because I, I talked at a um, school board hearing about masks. So they, they knew me. Uh, they had my face on a YouTube video. And they were like, oh, he's one of us. So they said, hey, we want to help him out. And so my wife has a Facebook account. My wife's from Ukraine. She uh, used her, her name in Russian, so you wouldn't know it unless you use the Cyrillic alphabet, who she is. And uh, she doesn't troll, doesn't post. She uses it to message, direct message and like pictures. And she sent a message to this woman saying, I'm Steve Friend's wife, and I uh, really appreciate you helping. And could you just have the Moms for Liberty folks share his story on social media? That'd be great because we're not talking out. 30 minutes later, she gets this uh, because of violating community standards. Your account has been disabled, um, suspended. And then the next day it was fully disabled. And then so. there's more. Kyle told me that I should ask you about it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Kyle said more? there's more. Um, she she's not working no no she's not uh she's counting votes in arizona um, um, there's there's an nda I'll, yes <laughs> it's a she's one of the, the blind nuns that are counting down votes in arizona <laughs> uh, yeah so she uh well yeah my wife's uh, worked in logistics and then uh, her company decided to uh part ways with her uh, in the middle of the pay period in the middle of the week asked her to work two more weeks um, and gave her a severance package that was pretty nice uh, for somebody in her position, which wasn't executive, but you know she never had any problems. And then uh, she uh, yeah, was summarily dismissed. So I don't know. Just a coincidence, maybe, uh, Steve. A coincidence. I don't know if maybe somebody at, you know high level in her company was a CNN you know consumer, uh, or maybe even you know if it was a call over from the from the FB one about hey, but you know. That's my health insurance right there, so that's gone. So there's that's been that's been a hit. Um, you know, I've, I'm suspended without pay. I've used all my uh, vacation time, so no more no more paychecks. And you in. can't get another job because they won't fire you. They won't fire me, and I have to get their approval to get another job um, outside employment. Now, like if I was like, hey, I want to be a barista, they'll probably say yeah because they don't want to be perceived as like stopping me from getting a you know a some income but uh like if you look at my resume anything that i'm going to work in is going to be you know law enforcement adjacent or security or something like that or even like i can't use a, my security clearance is no good so like that was going to be a good 
thing to have in my back pocket for outside employment. But now that's no not, not going to be usable. I um I keep saying like all of you guys have to get together and form some kind of like a like a stormtrooper business or something where you can you know all like you go work for like yeah the, like in the movies right yeah like right. The the yeah you do a sliced alone you know uh, stuff. expendables the expendables yeah. as you should do you should all get together <laughs> until you're 75 years old but i'm serious right. like or some not some like you know not for profit or like you know patriot-minded civil liberties organization or like something you have such value to us, you know, like, I mean, you really do coming like I'm a libertarian or, you know, I was a libertarian, hardcore libertarian for years and years. I was like probably viewed as an extremist. I understand your philosophy very much. I'm an extremist for caring about the Constitution. It's just sure. the way it goes. So like what so you're now, a centrist. I, you're, you're, <laughs> if you're on the Constitution, that's the center, right? Isn't that the way it's, it's a it's traditional easy. center down people, the middle? People freak out when I when I bring that point up too. If you're that, that is the, supposed to be the center, they, and, and then I ask people, how do you think? How well do you think a bird flies with two left wings? Now you know mm-hmm. our problem. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously, like, oh, yes. So, um, what what now? Like you you've you know what now? I'm not going to put words in your mouth. Uh, So I'm trying to speak out uh, as much as I can. Um, I heard after the election last week, uh, the next day, I got a notification from the special counsel that they were going to not consider my complaint anymore. Um, That's why I tend to think that, well, they definitely don't get, these Republicans aren't going to have a Senate, so they're not going to have hearings. They may get the House, so there might be hearings, but I I think they're pretty confident that's not going to happen because now this can just be gone. It'll just, uh, there's never going to be any accountability. Uh, which is is just brutal to me. Like, I mean, I just basically flushed everything down. I mean, I know I did the right thing. I would not do it. Um, but the fact that, like, SAC, seventh floor, Sherry Onks is going to, like, be no, no accountability to her or to anybody else is, is brutal. Um, I had this, like, in my head, I, you know, I, I was friends with all these agents and, like, a lot of really good people. I'm done saying the good men and women of the FBI. Like, I really... I, I don't know why I was so deluded, but like I thought I was gonna have the Captain America end game, like where I fought this battle and it's looking bad and then on your left, and then they all come. And nope, it's that, just kind of me. That, you know what? That's what I try to tell everybody all the time. Sometimes it's just reality and people don't have balls. And you yeah. just happen to have a set of balls and so does Kyle Serafin and so does, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, like. It's not, like I said, it's not easy. It's simple. It's never not occurred to me. It's to to like that I had another option. I was like, well, yeah, like that's your job. Like that's why I swore my oath. I really believe in it. I'm not not trying to get famous. I'm like, I applied for the job to do the job. This is the job, so I did the job. And like, and I don't, I guess that's rare. And I, I mean, look, being an FBI agent is really sweet. Like it's really fun. You can have an awesome time. You're the most interesting person in every room you walk into. Everybody yeah. wants to hear your stories. Uh, you get paid an exorbitant amount of money, and you don't really have to do very much. You can spend your entire career and do nothing for the for the most part. And I think that's most of the fourteen thousand kind of like look at their bank accounts and say like, hey, uh, you know, I just got to put food on the table. And I'm like, guy, like you're pulling down one hundred twenty five thousand yeah. dollars in, you know a nice a nice suburb of uh nebraska like 
you, you really you're going hand to mouth like, come on like is that what it's going to take for you to sleep at night okay because Giza dream sheets better be really comfortable Oof. yeah terrible terrible yeah, that's, that's 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 the that's the thing that a lot of people used to ask more and more but i think people are asking it less and less about you know what what percentage in the uh in the bureau we always hear about the the rank and file from the sean hannity mm-hmm. types i i i blocked that out so long ago <laughs> yeah so long ago i said so, there has to be everybody at this point yeah I, rank rank and file i mean if, if i had to get broad overarching uh, gun culture. It's good. So FBI's gun culture, that's second amendment. That's going to be tends to be right leaning. So like they're all Fox news watchers and consumers. If they're political at all, but for the most part, most rank and file agents are tend to lean right. Leadership tends to lean left. Um, because you know, I guess the just closeness to Washington DC or I don't know. I mean, they just are political climbers and that's just their nature. Uh, and then uh, your analysts and everybody else, you know, they, they tend to be left-leaning. They're, they're, they're the more intellectual. They're the ones that are, you know, writing these Intel products. Uh, and uh, and they, they just, so it's always a battle. It's just this weird, like, the office fight that happens every day where it's like, who gets to the office first? Because whoever gets the first and turns the TV on, like, that's the news site that's going to be on all day long. So the analyst gets there super early so they can put on CNN. And then every once in a while, the agent will be like, F this. And he gets there and he gets on. Nobody puts on like, you know, uh, uh, Newsmax. Like, because that's. But uh, Fox News gets turned on. And like, that's that, that'll be a complaint at some point. If Fox News is on for a week straight, an analyst will go to a boss and say like, hey, uh, we need to. You know. Just want to take these people's chairs out from under them and like tie them. <clears> like, <throat> like, oh, gosh, I don't know how you did it. I, it's a de- depressing Steve I want to have you back because this was fun yeah I want to talk to you more um It'd be fantastic hour flew by like what can we do to support you like what can our audience do to help you um oh man so I, I'm I started my true social um so real underscore Steve friend on true social so I'm trying to, to be a little more present there I've never had a social media uh really a presence before and uh, yeah, if anybody has anything, I'm in Daytona, Florida. I'm looking into maybe doing some security or uh, threat assessment stuff. Um, you know, if anybody knows anything, I'm, I'm completely new. I thought I was gonna be having an FBI job for the next 15 years. So career-wise, that'd be huge. Um, and then I'm gonna be coming out uh, more on Beyond Glenn Beck's special this week on a Wednesday night. So that'll be Aaron on Blaze and uh, trying to uh, just continue to speak got to keep you front and center like i i said to kyle like and uh, before we close for today what always ends up happening to whistleblowers who are not like you honestly is that they come forward they tell their story the media flares up around them for like a day or two or a week or two and then it goes away and they go crazy they go crazy because they're like okay now i'm targeted nobody's paying any attention to me anymore i did all this nobody's accountable what now so in this case I'm like very much about keeping you guys in everybody's consciousness and making sure that there's accountability because there is a legitimate trampling of our rights in this country right now. It is turning into a third world dictatorship. I'm not being, you know, it's just look around. It's, I'm not being over, over, you know, whatever. It's just, I have, it has to stop. So thank you so much for having integrity and caring about what you do and we appreciate you we really do definitely do yes 
Thanks, guys. I really appreciate you guys giving me a chance to talk. It's been really fun. Love to come back. Yeah, you got to go back and look at the chat. Everyone <laughs> loves that you outed your boss. Um, anyway, <laughs> have a great one, guys. We'll see you uh, back you. here next week. <laughs>